Men and abortion. The Pro-Life Guys podcast has tried to tackle this topic from a few different vantage points. And today I talk with Kevin Burke about the impact of abortion on men and how that sends ripple effects through the rest of society. Stay tuned. Hi, folks. My name is Cam. I am the host of the Pro-Life Guys podcast, a show dedicated to equipping you with the tools that you need to have compassionate and compelling conversations about abortion. So together we can change minds, save lives, and transform the way our culture views the abortion issue. And what a joy to be back with you. Here we are a couple weeks into the new year. And um, in today's episode, I'm going to be talking with Kevin Burke, Familiar name to some of you. Um, he was on the show offering our Christmas reflection just this past year. So about a month ago or so, he was on on the program for the first time. And I, I must admit, it was definitely not super on my radar. Um, the, the conversation about post-abortion healing specifically for men. We've had people like Lisa Rowe on the program before to talk about support after abortion. Um but I, I am really, really thrilled that, that we're able to have Kevin on the episode again today to talk about the impact of abortion on men and, and the insane shockwaves that go through society because of this um, life-altering and life-ending decision for preborn children for the parents, including the father involved. And so I'm really excited about it. This... As, as I've talked to Kevin about um, off-air, actually, uh, th this is going to be something of a theme for this year, that we're going to have a handful of episodes that all focus on post-abortion healing and navigating conversations with those who are post-abortive um, because it's an experience that so many of us within the pro-life movement um, encounter. Whether you're trying to or not, maybe, maybe you're not a counselor. I'm certainly not. I talk to people on street corners and on doorsteps day after day. Um, whether you're in a similar situation with a local community group or or whether you're working for CCBR, interning with CCBR, maybe you're manning the phones at um, a pregnancy support center. Maybe you are doing some other kind of ministry. Maybe you're um, volunteering through your church or leading some kind of ministry through your church. Maybe it's not even pro-life related. This can be coming up because this is something that hits close to home for so many people. And so I am really excited to get into it. And um, spoiler alert, we have a giveaway. I have five copies of the book, Tears of the Fisherman, written by Kevin Burke, our guest today, um, that I will be doing a giveaway for Um but just like our other giveaways, you have to be part of our mailing list, all right? So if you're not already, go to the website, ProLifeGuys.com. Um, sign up to be um, on our mailing list. I think it's on the right-hand side if you scroll down a, a tiny amount. Um, that'll get you on-the-go information for ProLife Guys podcast. I mean, hopefully we never have to worry about deplatforming or anything like that. But give you some on-the-go, give you some bonus content at times, give you some giveaways like this, five copies of it. We're going to be doing a giveaway from there. And so um, please do sign up for the mailing list so you can get a little bit more info. Mailing list goes out once a week maximum, um, depending on whether or not I have time to send it out with all the other stuff that I have on the go. And so please do sign up for that. It's not going to spam you. You're not, not going to get daily or, or hourly emails from me. Far from it. Um, they're going to be short emails, and often they're going to have giveaways like this. And so please do. But without any further ado, here's my conversation with Kevin Burke, licensed social worker, co-founder of Rachel's Vineyard, um, and affiliate of Priest for Life. All right, Kevin, thanks so much for coming back on the show a couple months after your first appearance on the show. How are you today? Great, Cam. Thanks so much for having me again. I appreciate it. 
Yes, absolutely. It, it has been a bit of a wild ride for me since our first conversation. I, I must admit, um, I, I didn't have a tremendous amount of, of your ministry with regards to post-supportive men on my radar until um, um, tragically now um, pro-life leader Frank Pavone at the time, Father Frank Pavone, um, put us in touch. And since that time, I, I've read your book, Tears of the Fisherman, a couple times now, um, and, and just an incredibly beautiful and important ministry to dive into. I'm really thrilled to dive into it today. But before we get into the very, um, whether it's specifics or, or um, the theme of the impact of abortion on men in society, I'd love to get a little bit more of your background, not necessarily your pro-life background per se, because I think that we, we had a very beautiful kind of sharing of that in the last episode that you and I recorded a, a couple months ago now. Um, but maybe share a little bit. So you have a graduate degree in social work. Is this something that, that you had always kind of envisioned? Is that what you entered um, post-secondary with a, a path for? Was that a bit of a, a turn in the road that you didn't really anticipate? What was it about social work that really attracted you, um, both your interest and passion? Well, I think uh, we're, if we go back to my college years, and uh, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I was considering a vocation to the um, Catholic priesthood at the time and, and uh, also working a lot with, uh, with the poor, working in soup kitchens and doing some tutoring in a prison and different kinds of kind of faith-related stuff. And then I also kind of was getting in touch with the fact that some of the, my experiences growing up had wounded me in various ways. I think I was pretty just beginning to get a sense that you know, there's some areas I needed to attend to. So I had the experience of seeing this counselor when I was in college, going through a difficult time trying to discern some things. And uh, he really helped me. And then I went uh, after I left college and was further discerning what I wanted to do, I had another experience with the counselor. And that was such a positive experience. I thought, I think I might like to do this, you know. And so uh, because I'm impatient <laughs> kind of person, I was looking at the options, you know, and it's like, well, you can go to school for like 10 years and become a psychologist, or you can go to school for two years of graduate school and, uh, and become a clinical social worker and be able to do counseling and get licensed. And I thought, well, that's better for me. <laughs> so I got my degree in clinical social work uh, and with a concentration on doing therapy and counseling. And uh, that's kind of how the, uh, I got into that, that, that end of things. Gotcha. And, and that, I think that's such a, a fascinating story because I feel like there's very few people who end up um, becoming the profession that they anticipated, whether in high school or, or for some people even earlier on. I feel like um, if NASA recruited the number of people who anticipated becoming astronauts or if medical school and um, recruited the number of people planning to be doctors, um, we'd be overrun by them. But I, I think that's a beautiful <laughs> journey. And, and you shared briefly on our last episode about how your initial focus was on on a secular approach to, to therapy and counseling and how a lot of that had to do with family and marriage counseling. And as we're going to get into, I'm sure very soon here, um, the, the connections that 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 role had with the impact of past abortions in marriages and families in men and women. When I, I don't know if you would have a particular obviously, um, experience where that first came up, that this was kind of a, huh, I, I hadn't thought about this before. And, and obviously, this is drastically impacting this family, this uh, marriage, whatever it may be. Where did the, the post-abortion um, situation issue, I suppose, really come on your radar through your experience with counseling and therapy? Well, providentially, it was actually a, a miscarriage that Teresa and I experienced. 
it, it was probably, um, yes, it was after the birth of my son and we were hoping to have another child. And, uh, so, and it was about three months when the miscarriage took place. And I remember calling Teresa from where I was working at Catholic charities at the time, doing counseling and supervising some other workers. And, um, I call, I got the news and I went, I called my mom at the time. who's now with the Lord. And I, when I shared with her, I said something that I didn't really think about. Um, cause I'd been thinking more about Teresa and her experience and that she was okay. And I said, we lost the baby. And when I said that I was filled with grief that I didn't realize, cause I was really focused on, well, we'll be able to have another, you know, another baby. And I was more concerned with that Teresa was okay. And when I realized she was okay, then I was like, you know, but not really in touch with my own internal loss there. And so that was actually something that I thought about. It stayed with me, resonated with me. I would say that was the beginning of my uh, pro-life uh, consciousness, if you would say. Gotcha. I, I'm so sorry to hear that for for you and Teresa and the rest of your family. And, and I think that a beautiful... Um, beautiful sharing of that. I appreciate that. And and so this is in the back of your mind now as you're approaching your ministry, your work that you're doing through Catholic Charities. And I, I'm sure that over over the years of ministry that you were doing, you were noticing that, that there was something of a trend of, of, I mean, certainly when we consider the number of abortions that have been performed in America since um, the, the institution of Roe v. Wade, but certainly before that as well, because abortion was legal in many states before then, um, the, the millions, dare I say, dozens of millions of people who've been impacted directly by abortion. And yet, tragically, as, as I'm sure that you know more than anyone, this is so often relegated as simply a, a women's issue, a, a women's issue that, that abortion impacts women, and men are almost always forgotten about. At what point did it, it really enter your experience or your radar that, that this is a profound impact for men and that something needed to be done more so addressing the, the woundedness that men are experiencing, not only because that's simply a, a decent, um, decent thing to do in general, let alone um, with all of the, the ripple effects, the shockwaves, as it were, that um, resonate from this experience. When did that come on your radar and, and how did that unfold for you? Unfortunately, uh, once I learned later about how intimately people are impacted by abortion, how it impacts their relationships, et cetera. I spent years in graduate school, years after graduate school in my professional life, and I had no idea uh, the connection that might have been there with couples I was seeing who were having you know, issues like sexual dysfunction, communication issues on the verge of divorce, uh, guys with anger issues in their relationship, you know? like all these areas. But one of the things I never did early in my career, because I was never trained to do this, and this is true in a religious setting as well, is I never said, have you experienced a pregnancy loss? Either before you were married, during your engagement period, during your dating period. Um, you know, just that basic question at an intake with a couple is so important. And yet it's so often off the radar because of the ideological issues and the and the political uh, issues around this, unfortunately, get in the way of good clinical practice because that's really should be an essential part of any uh, interview that you have. And obviously, you have to do this very, uh, you have to do it in a very sensitive way. You have to form trust first with the people you're working with. And once you establish that trust, then you can begin to explore a little more about that. And you can, like I said, you can ask it in a way that's more uh, 
you know, is there pregnancy loss? Because that would involve a miscarriage or, or whatever, or a child might have died shortly after birth, et cetera. So uh, early in my career, it was not on the radar. I would say really it was not till I went to my first Rachel's Vineyard retreat, just wanting to learn about the program because Teresa's was getting more heavily involved with this. And I thought, well, I better go, <laughs> I better go check this out. <laughs> so, um, so I went through that whole weekend as a participant and I realized too, that I was involved with a pregnancy decision that when I was in graduate school, that it wasn't my child, but it was a, someone I was very close to and cared very deeply about. And they trusted me on a number of different levels and they were dealing with an unplanned pregnancy. And I just, because of my professional training at the time to be non-judgmental, and because I didn't have a strong pro-life conviction at that time, I would say I was neutral. I would say I was clueless. <laughs> but um, when she came to me with that unplanned pregnancy, I said, uh, you know, here's some options that if, if you want to parent the child. And I gave her some information from the, you know, uh, from Catholic Charities. And uh, I also said, um, but, you know, I'll respect whatever you decide. And of course, I learned later hearing so many abortion stories that when a woman hears that, or a friend or whoever, you're, you're making it okay to, for her to, to, to go to an abortion center and for them to end the life of that child. So you are really an active, even though you don't, might not intend it, you're, you're very much a part of that abortion decision by your reaction to the pregnancy, of course. So uh, I got in touch with that on the retreat, but I also began to see from the story, because when you're on a, I mean, it's like, it's like if you want to get your doctorate in abortion healing, go on a couple of Rachel's Vineyard retreats as, you know, and just listen to the stories that you're going to hear. Watch people unpack their experience, get past all the defenses, all the fear and anxiety, anger, whatever it is. And they get to the point uh, as they're progressing through the weekend with all the spiritual and emotional support, and they begin to tell their story. And as they tell their story, you begin to, you, they begin to uh, put together the puzzle pieces of how their life was fragmented after that abortion. You mentioned shockwaves. That's a good analogy because it's like, a, it's like an explosion, uh, even if you don't realize it. And so I was seeing those, uh, those connections and that was my beginning uh, to make, the, to see how abortion impacts folks in a more intimate way. And it's kind of, from there, it's become a <laughs> kind of a vocation now, but really, you know, people say you're, you know, they'll introduce me as an expert on, you know, men and abortion or abortion. And my expertise comes from those who have come forward uh, with courage uh, to, you know, to uh, want to get healing. And I've learned from them. This is, so I'm just really reflecting their hope, reflecting their experiences. Gotcha. And, and I think you do such a great job of that. And, and that's reflected even the way that you've written the book, right? That there's, for so many of the chapters, there's a very deep and thorough um, kind of sharing testimony from um, a, a, whether it's a person that, that you've had a personal relationship with or, or somebody that has come through um, a Rachel's Vineyard retreat setting. And it's not, here's Kevin Burke giving 10 pages of insight for every one sentence of, of testimony, mm -hmm. that in, but rather quite the opposite, that yeah. allowing people's um, experience, their testimony, their witness to be shared, and then 
some thoughts for reflection, some um, ways of processing that. And, and so that I, I love the book in that context. I mean, I, I'm sure that I, I would appreciate even more of your, your insight and wisdom, but I love the way that you frame the book that way of sharing people's stories and then helping to unpack them in a gentle, a sensitive, a, a very wise approach, I think, um, but not trying to be overly heavy handed with, here are the four things that this person did wrong. And if only they had done this and this and this and this and, and that kind of thing. And so I, I really appreciate the book. And one thing that I wanted to ask you about and and in some ways maybe kind of form the the core substance the meat and potatoes of this episode is diving into the impact of abortion on men and and there's a one of the middle chapters I want to say chapter seven or chapter eight sort of thing where you focus specifically on abortion and men and and seeing this through the lens of the penal system in the Rachel Vineyard retreats and programs that have been offered in different penitentiaries, different prison systems around the country and how for so many, an abortion decision may not be the, the obviously the only reason why they pursued a um, whatever it was that resulted in them being incarcerated, but um, uh, certainly a factor that has contributed towards the brokenness of America, the brokenness of our world, and how this is contributing not only to the breakdown of our family, but all, ultimately far too frequently in the very formal, very civil breakdown of society. Share a little bit about um, abortion and men with regards to the, the lens of looking at the, the insanely high number of people in our prison systems who have been impacted in various ways by abortion. Uh, yes, I will. And, and please feel free to jump in any time too, as I'm, cause I'll, uh, I'll try to, you know, condense that chapter for you. Um, so I had this, uh, opportunity to go to, um, in 2014 to Florida, to the Martin, it's called the Martin Correctional Institute, uh, in Palm, it's outside of Palm beach. And I was invited there by the Rachel's Vineyard Ministries and there, and just, to, I just wanted to learn, I really wanted an open-minded, you know, is there a connection between their abortion experience and the criminal activity? That was one of the questions I wanted to check out. And just in general, I wanted to see what, how the ministry worked there. So they took the weekend format and they developed a 10 week program that the folks would go through that was tailored specifically for prison population. But what's interesting is that when they were first looking at getting this started there, as you might recall, uh, the uh, the woman who started this, she, she was very courageous. Um, she went to the deacon, and this is a, kind of a kind of a a tough guy. You know, he's been doing this for years. He's heard everything, and she's like, "I'd like to start this program for uh, men who have had abortion loss. I think there might be a need." And he's kind of like, you know, you know what these guys are dealing with on a regular basis. And he's, he was kind of skeptical. But what he did is he went to uh, his in two of his chapel services for the men. He did an informal survey, an anonymous survey, he said, have you had an abortion? And uh, has that had any impact on your life, a negative impact on your life? And so from the from both of those services, 90 percent at least of the men had an abortion in their past, at least one abortion and said it had an impact on their lives, which I thought was a, was pretty amazing. So I then had the opportunity to interview uh, a number of the guys who have been through the program prisoners there, and now they're leaders within their, within the ministry in the prison. Some of these guys are there for armed robbery, for murder, uh, they're lifers. 
You know, this is this is this is maximum security. So I inter as I interview them and listen to their telling their stories. Um, what was very surprising to me uh, was that in some cases the I would say in all cases the abortion had a role in their journey, sometimes an integral role, and a number of them had been in the military. So here's an overall framework you can look at with these guys. And, and this will be no surprise that they had huge father wounds. Either father was absent. He gave them no attention, which some of the guys, we were listening to some guys who were talking about their fathers being abusive, beating them. But the guys who had no contact with their dads, whose dads ignored them, didn't affirm them. One of the guys said, I wish I would have rather gotten beaten. At least he, there was some connection. And of course, he's talking in a, a symbolic way, really. You know, he doesn't want. But I mean, he, he points out how powerful that rejection is uh, from the father. So you have the father wounds. Um, and then uh, at some point, uh, they get involved. Uh, they have an abortion in their adolescence. And so the rejection of the father they kind of compensate for that, for being more macho, uh, maybe makes them more vulnerable, getting involved in gang activity, surrogate father figures are destructive. But when, when they had that abortion experience, the first one in adolescence, what they talked about in retrospect, this is after their healing and they had some insight, is they said that that was like they had these sparks present, you know, different kinds of wounds, pain, becoming more narcissistic in the relationships, using people, using others maybe even some minor criminal activity. And they said the abortion experience was like throwing gasoline on that. So after that, there was an intensity in their anger and their acting out. Some of them joined the military. One guy talked about wanting to be on the front lines afterwards, you know, and why is this? It's because there's something very complicated that happens. And this is relevant to men outside of the prison population because most men obviously don't go into prison after having an abortion. But, but there, here's, here's a key point. You have the experience in your childhood as a man, as a boy, of feeling emotionally aborted. Think about it in that framework. You know, perhaps you've been through a traumatic divorce and uh, you had no say over it. And all of a sudden your, your father separated from your family. You don't see him anymore every day. And that deeply wounds you. You can't talk about it. Perhaps you were abused by a coach sexually or physically. Whatever that wound is in your childhood that impacted you deeply, you bring that into your adolescence. A sense of being, having been abused or neglected and been victimized in some way. In the abortion decision, you're, you're dealing with this unplanned pregnancy and you don't feel you know, that competent as a man or father you know, deep down. So that feeds your anxiety. You, you push her to have an abortion. Maybe you even aggressively push the girl to have an abortion. But then you're the perpetrator. So you have both of these things going on inside of yourself. You have this abused child, in a sense, and you, have your, you, you are participating in the destruction of this little child of yours. Do they articulate this you know, in their mind? I would say most of the time, no. It's, not, it's something that's it's a cauldron <laughs> that's inside of you. And you're acting out of it in various ways. Um, and that's what, that's what uh, is very complicated. And then I can, I'm going to pause here to give you a chance to jump in if you want. And then I can talk about how healing responds to that.
Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. There's a million things bounced around in my head. And, and I think that's a, an incredible way to put it. And, and just what, what I've seen with all of the street outreach that I've been doing here across Canada and at times even in the States as well, seeing that, that based on conversations with high school kids, university kids, that for so many of them, that, that exact trend plays out where they have this complicated relationship or, or like, as you mentioned, maybe non-existent relationship with their father figure, their father, biological father themselves. And there's this entire range of wanting to be entirely different from their father. My father wasn't there. I hated my father the entire time. And then because of not having that male father figure, that role model participating in the abortion decision, and then the the spiral of depression and, and tragic thought of like, oh my goodness, I, I've worked so hard to be so different from my father. And here I am, I, I've done the exact same thing. I've abandoned my child. I've abandoned my girlfriend, my wife, my my loved one, whomever it may be, um, or or the the opposite, where all that's ever been modeled is this flippancy, this um, disregard for people around you, um, looking out for number one sort of thing, and and they're just simply following in the footsteps of the parental figure, their father figure, because they've never known any different. And so I, I think that reflects um, perfectly on the experience of so many of us at at CCPR, the pro life guys, so many who do um, street outreach, whether through forty days for life or or mind changing stuff um, on street corners and on doorsteps. I think that 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 reflects beautifully. And, and as you alluded to, how, how do we unpack that? How do we progress going forward? And, and I want to bounce actually, um, as, as, as you start leading into this, um, an experience that I had literally last week while interacting with high school students here in Calgary, um, from a young man who, whom I asked, what do you think about abortion or our general opening line? Like, where are you out on the abortion issue? Let's talk about, um, your thoughts. And, and his response was simply, um, you know what, at this point, I, I think it'd be pretty hypocritical if I was against abortion. And and we can get into what I tried to say to navigate, but maybe identifying this problem that has impacted such a wide demographic of society. What has your experience been, as you mentioned, of find, um, helping, whether it's writing the ship, whatever, whatever the right analogy is for for moving forward with these men, with these victims, with these perpetrators, as, as it were, the, the entire complicated mess that, that this generates, what are the steps forward? What, what can be done and, and how can we help men in these situations? There has to be a, a spiritual and emotional component to the healing process. These wounds are so deep within us that they touch on areas that, you know, yeah, you, you need techniques, you need psychological awareness, you need things that respond and help you navigate the difficult and painful, sometimes traumatic emotions so that you can, you know, get your story out, work through your story and find, you know, get to the other side of that. So a, a foundational part of the Rachel Vineyard experience is establishing spiritual and emotional safety initially. So as the guys are going through this program and doing the scripture exercises and the techniques that are really really very, very helpful to lower your anxiety and help you to begin to process this. Um, is that the men, what the men talked about is that that early part of the program for them helped them to encounter for the first time a sense of God as being a loving father who loves them unconditionally, even with their, even with their serious, serious background in crimes. They had that sense, uh, I would say the experience, not only the, it's more important, not, you can't just have an intellectual experience of this, you have to experience it in your heart. 
and they experience that grace of uh, their of being loved by God. That gave them the strength then to begin the process and continue. And here's what's beautiful about the healing process for them, both uh, in their wounded childhood and in, with their babies, is that um, <clears throat> when you're going through the healing process and you tell your story, and then there, there are exercises where you eventually, and you, you, obviously it takes time and setting the stage to do this, but you get to the point where you are able to embrace the child that was aborted or children with love. You name the children. You on Sunday of the Rachel's Vineyard retreat, or some if you're in a group program later in the group process, you're going to read a letter to that child, you know, and that humanizing the child and reestablishing your relationship as father with the child is extremely an important part of healing. And it'll sound very strange to someone who is not who's just start hearing this, never thought of this before. Don't be scared off by that. It might sound a little wacko to you. Uh, it won't later. But initially, it can sound a little strange. But uh, you know, reestablishing a relationship as father with the aborted child or children uh, is a very healing experience. So they learn. And here, here's what I found about men: when men are given the opportunity and safe place to grieve, where they won't be shamed, their grief is profound and deep, powerful, uh, and it's healing for not only them but those around them to see that. So particularly women, when they encounter that, so they experience their grief in a healthy way. They don't have to experience the grief through anger or acting out or hurting others to avoid it. Uh, but at the same time, as they learn to grieve, they also can grieve their losses in their childhood and the pain of their childhood and reconnect in love with that, that child within them that the, that the father in heaven loves. And so that experience of healing, uh, has that effect of being much more comprehensive for them and at least opening the door to continued healing in their life in their relationships that have been damaged in various ways. And this would be true of a, of a, of a young man who went through a divorce experience. And I'm thinking of somebody right now who was, you know, a real case that I, you know, that I know very well, who uh, had a divorce in his childhood. It was very traumatic for him to lose his dad's presence on a regular basis. And his, his mom, God bless her, but she was not able to handle his anger and pain. And so he stuffed it, had an abortion when he was a young man with this uh, woman he was part, uh, engaged to, led to the breakdown of the marriage, led to him having a suicide attempt at, at one point uh, because of all the repercussions of this. Did the abortion by itself cause him to try to kill himself? No. Was it a con major contributing factor? Yes. So it doesn't open the door to healing. It opens the door to more problems, really, over time, even though it seems like it solves the immediate problem. So uh, that's a little bit of uh, the healing aspect. For people to be aware of that, that for so many people, this is something that is is kept under wraps, kind of the, the manly or, or the distorted vision of what it means to be a man, to be this stoic, to be this um, not sharing your feelings. I feel like there's there's such a... Um, double standard obviously set so often where we encourage men to share their feelings and experiences more and then and then the criticism and feedback that they often get when they do so and all that kind of thing and and I appreciate how you said that, that this could be the opening of the door and how a Rachel's Vineyard retreat might not resolve every single thing but it might be an instrumental component to a journey of healing. I think about um, a, a great great friend and influence of mine Anita Sontag who um, 
is with the Lord now as well. She was a, a, a member of Silent No More Awareness Campaign here in Canada. And I got to know her very, very well um, through a across Canada tour that I did together with her. I was often driving a 12-seater van with a bunch of my, my coworkers in the back, and she would sit in the passenger seat. Um, she must have been in her mid-70s or something. And Wow. And not only was her role to keep me awake while I was driving this this 22 year old kid that, that got like four hours of sleep a night and Anita would keep me awake, but she would keep me awake by kind of sharing her journey. She had had um, two abortions, both very early in her um, kind of teenage and then young adult life and and sharing that journey with me and how it was a 50 year journey of, of how she she first got plugged in silent no more and rachel's been rachel's vineyard when she was in her early 40s and then that this wasn't something that that was magically healed and she never thought about again because she had found perfect healing but rather something that she found a, a beautiful way of reflecting and engaging with um and that it allowed her to process her experience because you never are going to forget about that component. That, that's not what Rachel Spinyard is trying to do. It's not trying to seal a coffin, but rather open it up to the natural air of experience and, and embracing that journey. And so I think that's a, a beautiful, beautiful component with that. And, and one thing that I would love to um, give you the opportunity to share about as well that, that is mentioned several times in the book that I think is such a beautiful instrument of healing is the rock. The rock that is given to so many of the the participants in I, I don't know if everyone gets a rock or if it's just um, yeah. uh, some, but but the the rock I, I think symbolizes so much. But I think what it really hit me with, and and I'll let you explain how how that part of the retreat is done. Uh, what it really hit me with is the impact of of having that abortion experience has on other people and how so often we we trick ourselves into thinking that it's not impacting any of our other relationships it's not impacting um, any of the other people around us and yet just like carrying a heavy burden that's going to impact other people even if it's simply the weariness the frustration the um the depression anxiety that goes around it so maybe share a little bit about the rock component that you allude to several yeah. times um in the book and how that can have such a profound impact on participants of the rachel rachel's vineyard um healing retreats yeah that's it's very insightful for you to uh to, to you, you surprised me when you mentioned the rock that you uh that that's very insightful because a lot of the folks who come through the retreat say the same thing, that that's one of the more profound aspects of the weekend. It's such a funny thing. You think a rock, what? <laughs> but uh, this is this is partly this is partly Teresa's genius, but it's also of course the the power of the scripture, uh, the scriptural story to references, which is and this is this is something that's powerful for women and men. But the story is the woman caught in adultery, and we and that's used on Friday night. And in the scripture meditation, uh, you hear the story, you know, the scripture story, and then you go through a kind of a, uh, a meditation where you enter the story. So you're there, you're watching the scene, and you're seeing the, the woman and her experience of shame and, and the man accusing her. And one of the, some of the men might have actually used her services at some time, you know, it's probably very likely. And so there's all that human drama and hypocrisy and, and suffering and pain. And uh, so they all have their rocks all ready to stone her. And of course, Jesus does his intervention with her. And, uh, you know, in, in Teresa, in the meditation, Jesus is, is, comes down to where the woman is so he can be at her level and he's eye level with her. You know, does anyone condemn you? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So th after the meditation where they enter into the story, there's an exercise that always follows where you do something active 
with this and process it further. So there's a real rock that's passed around. And with each person uh, is handed the rock, you know, you hand the rock to the next person. Does anyone here condemn you? She says, no, or he says, no, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And it's passed around the whole room to establish a sense of spiritual and emotional safety. But then there's something even further, which is there's a whole bunch of rocks on the floor. And uh, you you uh, look and pray and ask, you know, what which one is mine? And people find a rock that seems to be a fit for them. And you carry that rock around with you into the shower, into the... Uh, and when you go to get your food uh, into bed at night. Uh, and so with the idea that the, what is the, the rock, of course, comes to represent the burdens that you're carrying around as a result of that abortion decision in a very, <laughs> pardon the pun, in a very concrete way, <laughs> the rock uh, enables people to, you know, to, to connect in a visceral way and feel it because that's an important part of healing. Because so much, so much of this stuff is confusing inside of us. So if there's ways that can bring it out and we can see it and work with it, it helps us work through it, you know? So uh, so at different points in the weekend, what you'll see is people will, and when you're ready to take the, put that rock down, all you, what you do is you share with the group what the rock meant to you. And oftentimes it's shame, guilt, anger at those who hurt you or might have forced you to have an abortion. It can represent a lot of things. But when they're ready to give it up, it's a beautiful moment. But it ver- and this is an important thing to recognize for anyone anyone listening or, or uh, viewing this. It's very different. Some people they're ready to put it down Friday night after the first couple exercises. That's unusual. Usually it's Saturday. Most people sometime on Saturday. But sometimes it's not until I think of one guy at the very end of the retreat. He's still at his rock, and what his breakthrough occurred. And this was unusual, but this was his journey. His breakthrough did not occur until he stood up to, to read the letter to his son. And he said, dear Joshua. And once he said that, the, the tears and the grief for him came finally. And he was very, before that, he was very nervous. Like, what's wrong with me? Everybody is, seems to be progressing to healing. What's wrong with me? And, you know, that's, that's a lesson to all of us. It's just, we have to wait. Uh, you know, there's a time for us and we have to be patient and that's difficult, but, uh, but trust, trust and hope in the Lord and he'll guide us to that place where we can uh, find that healing. Yeah. And, and I, I think that's a, a great way to, to frame it as well of how everyone's journey in this is going to be somewhat different, right? And, and so it's not it's probably limited value. And I'm sure that you guys get into this very deeply uh, or very early at the very least in the retreats that don't compare your healing journey with the person sitting next to you, even if that person sitting next to you is your spouse or, or, or the mother or father of, of the same aborted child, that, that everyone's brain works differently, everybody's heart works differently, and that this healing journey is going to look different for every person. And, and to bring it back to the, the experience that I mentioned earlier that I'd love to get your take on, that, and, and this is probably something that many people in a similar spot as my own um, encounter, right? That, that I'm out talking to people on a daily basis, talking to folks about abortion, um, on street corners, on doorsteps, at universities, at high schools, whatever it may be. And, and there's a ton of people who share with us, um, it, often in a very kind of 
hushed voice so that we're the only ones can hear I've had an abortion or I've never told anyone this before, but I've had an abortion. My, my girlfriend had an abortion, these sorts of things. And I think that often what our, our goal is on, on a street level, because I, I don't have the same professional background that you do. I, I, I wish that I, I could, and I'm sure that's something in professional development that I'll continue working towards. Often my goal is to provide a, a forum of, of safety and comfort that will allow them to trust me so that I can facilitate a, an opening of a conversation with somebody such as yourself or, or often the, the group that we work with most frequently is Silent the More Awareness Campaign and how they're affiliated with Rachel's Vineyard. And so often it's a matter of my, my questions generally that I'd love to get your take on are, first of all, how are you doing? How are you doing since that decision? How are you doing now in your life? Because I have a genuine concern and care for where you're at. Have you had a chance to talk to somebody about your, your abortion experience? If yes, did you find it helpful? If no, would you be open to it? I'm curious with, with your background, I'm sure that you've worked with and, and offered um, guidance for groups like 40 Days for Life and countless others. For somebody who might not have a, a social worker counseling background, who might not be the one who meets with this individual for several weeks or several months or several years for that matter, what would you encourage somebody to do to facilitate an opening where somebody with your background might be able to fill that role? Th does that make sense as a question? Yeah, and I would say my first reaction to that is that uh, some of the best, most effective people I know in reaching out to people who have had abortions and speaking to them and just having a gift to be able to do that. They don't have a degree in counseling. It is not uh, yeah. So don't let that discourage you if, if you uh, want, you know, want to open the door to that, because really the most important thing is, is a compassionate heart and, and an ability to listen, to really listen to people's experience and invite them to create an atmosphere to create a spirit where they, if there, if there's some openness to allow them to share a little bit of their experience. And, you know, I think that's, that's a, a wonderful starting point. Even if someone says to you, uh, and you know, I'm thinking of a scenario with someone who had had an abortion, probably a silent abortion situation. So they had had an abortion, but had experienced healing and they were talking to someone and, and, and they brought up the abortion, but their, their context was a very powerful denial still. Well, I did have an abortion when I was in college and it was the best thing I ever did. And of course, the last thing you want to do at that point is to tell them why they're wrong to feel that way because <laughs> you'll lose them. So you, you just kind of say, well, I'm glad that was your experience. My own experience was that for many years, um, I, I probably would have said something similar but I also started realizing that there's ways that that decision hurt me. Uh, and there's ways that that was impacting me in my relationships and, 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 uh, and, and, and actually feeding some other areas of my life, like addiction to things. And I, I just didn't make that connection until many years later. If you ever reach, if you ever have a time where you're beginning to maybe question about, have a, a different look at the, that role of that abortion in your life, please feel free to contact me. And here's a pamphlet on Rachel's Vineyard. They have a beautiful program or whatever program. It could be another healing program, uh, you know, that, that you're connected with where you are, that you know is solid and good. Um, and just give them a card or a pamphlet. A lot of times I would say to folks, because when I hear abortion stories on the retreats, there's a number of different things that led them to that point. So you're planting seeds. Sometimes you're, you're 
providing a direct intervention that's going to get that person to help. And that's beautiful. <laughs> but sometimes you're just planting seeds. So don't put a lot of pressure on yourself to have to get it all done at that point. You know, just trust that you're going to be the, one of the few people that's going to make it safe for them to share about that abortion, to maybe give you a little more feedback on what the situation was at that time. And then uh, hopefully then we'll receive a, maybe a pamphlet or card from you if they want to get help at some point to, you know, unpack that further in their lives. So how's that sound? That that makes a ton of sense. And and that's often the, the route that we're trying to encourage our volunteers, our staff, our interns to proceed with, the, the, to offer that safe environment, to offer a very open and compassionate impression even Be, because sometimes you only have 30 seconds sometimes you only have yeah. until the light turns or something like that and mm -hmm. and if you can put a good taste in their mouth if you can plant that seed that you know what that person genuinely wanted to hear where i was at or that person genuinely wanted to help i don't know if they could help i don't think that they could help but you know what i've got that in the back of my mind so if ever i do recognize the fact that i need help I know that those people are the kind of people who want to help. It's not a matter of they're here standing on some soapbox or, or something like that, that they want to preach down to me. Why did they want to know? It's because they wanted to help. Um, and, and sometimes I'll, I'll also, and I'd be curious in your thoughts on this as well. I, I will try to, if they seem to be presenting the idea of somewhat detached of, of that happened a long time ago, I'm in a different spot now. I, I will invite them in kind of a, can you help me understand? A, a large part of what we're trying to do here is trying to help people change their minds on abortion so that they don't pursue that, so they know that help's available. Can you help me understand what you were going through and whether or not this was something, uh, surely this wasn't something that you were wanting to do to have an abortion. It may be the best decision of your life because it allowed you to pursue X, Y, Z, but it wasn't a matter of you wanted to become pregnant because you wanted to have an abortion. Help me understand what support, what lack of support was going on in your life so that me as a pro-lifer, who's obviously a pro-lifer holding a pro-life sign kind of thing, if I can make the journey of parenthood easier for somebody um, so they don't have to choose between a child and a career, between their child and an education, whatever it may be, a child and a relationship, help me understand what you went through and maybe together we can collaborate on how somebody else may not have to make the decision that you made. I, I'm sure that's probably a little bit more academic and, and abstract and doesn't really get to the heart of the issue, but I'm curious what your thoughts are on that kind of process when gave. No, no, I think, I think that that, I think if there's a uh, if there if there's some receptivity to that kind of framework, I think you're still in in the you're still in the heart of healing, which is you're you're getting them to begin to tell their story. Any any time that you can get somebody to share a, about their actual experience, you're helping them to begin to get beyond the denial. You know, and and again, there's those seeds being planted. So any time, and then you're listening with compassion. And care that, that must have been very difficult you must you must have been i would guess you were feeling a lot of anxiety at that time whatever your insights are based on because you guys have your own insights based on you know working with uh, women and men in these situations so bring you bring that into it as well that you can have that sensitivity and i think that's can be very effective and uh you know i i've said to folks at times you know you can it, it and i've said this to men because it's they can be confused by it you can feel a real sense of relief after the abortion. It doesn't mean that there's not other areas 
in your uh, emotional life, in your relationship life, in your sexual intimacy, they're not going to, that might be impacted by that decision. Uh, both things can be true. You felt a great sense of relief, but if you are honest with yourself, did you also feel some sense of shame? Did you also at time, did you ever think about the child that might've been born? And of course, statistics, studies have shown us that a high percentage of men, for instance, do. They don't talk about it, but they do think about the child that might've been born, you know? And so that's, if you're, if you were even entertaining that, then you are humanizing that fetus enough that you're going to have some feelings and emotional reaction and pain associated with that. So, so just some further thoughts. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think that's great. And I think as well, it makes me, I mean, so much of what I'm doing, I feel like on, on a street corner, I, I, I feel like I process the world by way of analogy. I, I think about analogies for literally everything and it makes it really difficult at times listening to homilies and sermons going, oh, I don't know if that, if that analogy quite works or, or it breaks down in that capacity. But I think about how for many people, they might have a hard time reconciling the idea that they have both a positive and negative experience with something. But but this goes with with nearly everything, right? The, the number of times, the, the first time you lied to your parents or lied to a spouse or lied to somebody and you say, I'm really thankful that I got away with whatever. I'm really thankful that I didn't get grounded because I was eight out past my, my curfew or whatever. Even for very minuscule things, we have that sense of relief together with oh my goodness, but I, I straight up lied to my spouse. I, I lied to my employer. I lied to my parents, whatever. There is a complex experience that goes with it that can't be characterized with whether it whether it's a net positive or net negative might change in time as the the yeah ripple effects kind of go outwards from that. But yes. even there, there's very few experiences that are going to have exclusively positive or exclusively negative um, components to them. And so I think that makes a, a tremendous amount of sense to start unpacking that um, that experience for people and how that's an ongoing thing that, that like you mentioned, this probably isn't going to be a, everything is resolved within a single conversation or even a single retreat. This is going to be a, an ongoing process. And I, I am grateful that that mental health and, and whatnot is becoming a more um, ex- acceptable component in society to to grapple with and and while i'm sure the response hasn't been perfect um as you've mentioned that the conversation is is essential to to start the conversation whether the conversation unfolds exactly as it should is difficult to say because it's going to look different for every person but i think there's um a, a ton of value there and so I, I could not only go on babbling, but but picking your brain constantly. I'd love to do this again with you another time, um, Kevin. I'm going to have to get your your wife, Teresa, on as well with her experience with Rachel's Vineyard. Um, sure. Maybe share, as we start winding down, share a little bit about the book, about um, maybe how people can learn more about Rachel's Vineyard, about um, plugging, whether it's for themselves, whether it's um, those business cards or resources that they might have in their back pocket or in the back of their mind while they're doing pro-life outreach, how can, where should we be sending folks towards and how can we be facilitating the healing of a broken culture through effective um, kind of post-abortion recovery? Sure. Thank you. Uh, well, you can go to tearsofthefisherman.org and you'll see a nice little synopsis of the book and information on how you can order it. Uh, you can go to rachelsvineyard.org for information on all our retreat programs and uh, all kinds of information and helpful stuff, um, videos and things of that nature. 
Um, another possibility, and of course, at, at Rachel's Vineyard, you can get Rachel's Vineyard brochures and little cards that you can have. But there's the Silent Number Awareness Campaign also has a nice uh, card and pamphlets uh, about their healing uh, modality, which is abortionforgiveness.com. The nice thing about abortionforgiveness.com is you put your zip code in and it'll have all the abortion healing programs in your area in your uh, geographical area. So that's another great, uh, and that would include Rachel's Vineyard if there's a Rachel's Vineyard in your, in your nearby your town. So I would recommend those three are good places to start. The, the book, Tears of the Fisherman, rachelsvineyard.org, and abortionforgiveness.com. That's a good place to start. <laughs> Fantastic. And as I mentioned off the top, we're going to be doing a giveaway um, of five copies of Tears of the Fisherman. So stay tuned for how you can get plugged in on that. Kevin, thank you so, so much for taking the time again to join me. Um, and I look forward to connecting again with you soon. I'm so grateful for the opportunity. Thank you. All right, folks, that's my conversation with Kevin Burke, licensed social worker, co-founder of Rachel's Vineyard and and um, supporter, affiliate of Priest for Life. He does incredible work with his wife, Teresa, um, based on a Philadelphia, but across the country and around the world. Um, so thankful that I've been able to meet with him a couple of times, and I look forward to hopefully having him back on the show again at, at other points. Um, there's a lot to unpack there. And what I want to do, so next week's episode is going to be all about, um, it's just going to be me. It's not going to be a guest. It's going to be a very, hopefully, condensed episode on how I want to suggest navigating conversations that you're having on street corners and on doorsteps with post-abortive mothers and fathers. This isn't going to get into all of the, the background wisdom and insight that Kevin has Um it's going to be basically a proposal for how we train people to navigate conversations with post-abortive mothers and fathers. And um, I, I hope that, that pairing these two episodes, this one offering a tremendous amount of background, that one offering much more of, of what we are, are leaning towards as our go-to mechanism for um, cultivating relationship and rapport with um, people who have had abortions, who have chosen that for their children. Um, I, I think that this can be a really important theme that we cover on multiple times over this year. And so please stay tuned for that. Um, thanks again for tuning in. Please do, again, sign up for the mailing list, ProLifeGuys.com. You can sign up there. We've already had a, a handful of people join since our last giveaway. Um, I will be announcing the names of um, the folks. I know that we've got two of them, Andrew, and I've, I apologize. I'm blanking on the name of the other um, young woman who is the other woman, winner of the T-shirt. And so... Um, stay tuned for more on that. But thanks a ton for being along for the ride. I hope that these are these episodes are helping you in the conversations that you're having about abortion or preparing you for the conversations that you may have through your ministry, through your your work, through your your family life, and and all those in your sphere of influence. Because the conversations are happening. If pro-lifers are not part of them, then it's not us who loses out. It's preborn children. So please do be proactive in your engagement. Be bold, be courageous, um, and be compassionate in all that you're doing. Um, thanks so much for tuning in. May God bless you abundantly wherever you're at, however many hours are left in your day where you are at. Mm -hmm.